Welcome to Experience This, where you'll find inspiring examples of customer experience, great stories of customer service, and tips on how to make your customers love you even more. Always upbeat and definitely entertaining, customer retention expert Joey Coleman and social media expert Dan Gingas serve as your hosts for a weekly dose of positive customer experience. So hold on to your headphones. It's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss why technology is never as easy as it should be, how a simple piece of paper can change your workday, and one man's journey across all 50 of the United States. Confusing, training, and tripping? Oh my. There are so many great customer experience articles to read. But who has the time? We summarize them and offer clear takeaways you can implement starting tomorrow. Enjoy this segment of CX Press, where we read the articles so you don't need to. This week's CX Press article comes to us from Neele Patel on a website called The Verge. The title of the article, which I absolutely love, is called Everything is Too Confusing. I mean, Joey, it's basically what our entire show is about. I know. I love this one. I want everyone to try to remember the last time you opened up a new smartphone. Now, if it was an iPhone, and I have to imagine that uh, if you are not an iPhone user and you're an Android user, that this is also the case. But certainly with iPhones, you may have noticed that it basically comes with no instructions. And there are lots of big assumptions that Apple or Samsung are making in not providing customers with any instructions that you already know how to plug the phone in, that you know how to turn it on or set it up or link it to your network provider, find your Wi-Fi, and that you know where to go if you get stuck. Now, the process for setting up a phone is fairly straightforward, or so it seems, but you have to wonder whether it is for everyone. And this is where Neely's article comes in. And what I really like is, is he says that the tech industry is starting to make too many assumptions about people's understanding of technology and that basically technology is evolving faster than anyone could possibly be expected to keep up. So he compiled a list of actual questions that he had heard from friends and family, varying ages, varying professions. And the list is absolutely fascinating. For example, in the article, he says, somebody asked, what's the difference between Bluetooth and Wi-Fi? Or what's the difference between Hulu and Roku? Or what's the difference between your Apple ID, your iCloud ID, and your iCloud password? And why can't Siri play Spotify? And perhaps my favorite, and this is a direct quote, does Alexa always listen to you like Facebook? Yikes. <laughs> wow. And we didn't even include the one. And sorry to do this publicly to you, Dad. My dad recently, we were hanging out and he was asking me all about the hot stick. How do I make the hot stick work? And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, that thing on the TV that lets us watch shows on Amazon. I was like, oh, the fire stick. Nice. Gotcha. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's just, but, but it brings up an excellent point. You know, the technology, uh, you know, I think lots of companies have this thought that the people that are using their product have a certain level of tech savvy. And depending on the product and depending on its target demographic, they make some pretty big assumptions. But that's not the reality. Um, have you ever been in the room when a speaker 
ask, well, are there any questions? Oh, and by the way, there are no dumb questions. Well, I, I kind of think the same philosophy holds true here. There actually aren't any dumb questions because if you as the customer are asking, how does this work? It means that the person providing the device or writing the instruction manual or creating the packaging didn't create something that's as easy to navigate as they presumed. And what I think is interesting here is, you know, if we look at somewhere like Apple, you know, they make products that are pretty intuitive to use right out of the box. The problem is a lot of other tech companies have presumed that, well, because you can use it right out of the box if it's an Apple, maybe you can do that with our product as well. And yet that's not always the way it works. Nile also correctly points out that these types of questions from consumers beg a whole bunch of questions of the tech industry. Questions like, why doesn't all of this stuff work together better? Uh, why should anyone know why search works in some apps, but not in others? Why do so many people need to remember so many passwords? And these smart assistants that are on our quote unquote smartphones are they actually making things easier or more complicated? And I'll take it one step further. Are they actually making us feel smarter or dumber? Yeah, I mean, it's gotten a little bit scary. I know there was a story going around recently about somebody who had an Alexa and a Google Home and the two devices started talking to each other, which is just really bizarre. But you know, something you were saying there kind of struck a chord with me because I've said something similar for a long time and probably on this show, which is, you know, you could build the best mobile app in the world and your IT department could tell you that it's a great app that's easy to use. And your marketing people could tell you it's a great app that's easy to use. And your engineers can tell you it's a great app that's easy to use. But if your customers tell you that it's difficult to use, then the answer is it's difficult to use, period. And it doesn't matter what all of your internal employees think. And so what I really liked about these questions is some of these questions, I'm guessing our listeners were like, man, that guy's dumb. And then others, they might have been like, huh, I'm not sure I know the answer to that question either. Absolutely. And and I think, again, it goes back to that point when we're deeply immersed in it, regardless of what your business is, you know your business better than your customers as a general rule. And I think a lot of businesses run into this challenge where if the customer doesn't know how to navigate doing business with them or the customer uh, doesn't understand how to do all the updates exactly at the right time in the right way, the business gets frustrated when the reality is it's the job of the business to provide for the customer and to make it easier. Uh, I, we were in a situation recently where my uh, wife was getting a new iPhone and she says to me, you know, oh, do you know what your iCloud password is? And I said to her, if you were to offer me a billion dollars <laughs> right now to tell you my iCloud password, you would be able to keep the billion dollars. And yet, if you were to ask my wife, not only what her current password is, but what the last seven passwords are, she would absolutely remember that. She's incredibly more tech savvy than I am. And so a, a business that's doing business with our household, if they're talking to my wife, they can assume a pretty high level of 
computer knowledge. If they're doing business with me, it's maybe higher than the average bear, but it is certainly lower than my wives. And so again, we need to be taking into consideration who our customers are and making sure that we're properly introducing them and helping them navigate through using our products and services, especially when it comes to technology. Totally. And I will say that passwords are the bane of my existence as well. So let's go to the takeaways. Uh, I think there's three of them. The first is remember that not all customers are tech savvy. You know, I worked in the healthcare industry where our most of our customers were seniors, age 65 and older. And you really had to take a moment on the website and the mobile app and start to think about how do seniors use things that are different. I mean, my mom on her iPhone has the font set to a really, really large font that, you know, to me, I kind of joke with her that there's only three words on every screen. But if that's how she reads, then that's how companies that are talking to her need to design their mobile apps. The second is to anticipate use cases and to prepare accordingly. As we said, as we've said on the show before, not every customer is the same and not every customer is going to use your your device or your product or your service in the same way. And it is incumbent on the company to think about the various use cases and make sure that they're addressed. And then when all else fails, listen to customer feedback because customers will tell you what they love and can't stand about your products or services. And if you listen to them, you can continuously improve and iterate and make the experience better in the future. We love telling stories and sharing key insights you can implement or avoid based on our experiences. Can you believe that this just happened? It's the small things that often make the biggest impact on the customer experience. I feel like we come back to this again and again on this show. One small thing that you can do to make a huge difference in your customers' lives is just anticipating their concerns before they have them. And the example that I want to share today does just that in a simple and elegant way. So I often commute from the suburbs to the city. And when I do, I take the Metra commuter train in Chicago. Now, Metra has always had the reputation of being fast, clean, and on time. In fact, lots of people say that you could set your clock to the Metra train schedule. And they've done a really nice job of modernizing their trains with power plugs and onboard Wi-Fi. But honestly, that's becoming table stakes. Now, let me ask you, Joey, what do you think happens when a train is late arriving into the downtown station? I'd be willing to guess that there are a lot of angry passengers. True. And why do you think they might be angry? I mean, besides the obvious that no one likes being late. Well, I think that no one likes being late, sure. But I, I think it's the consequence of being late, right? So my gut instinct is if they're heading from the suburbs downtown in the morning, on a weekday, chances are better than not that they're going to work or going to an interview and it, they might find themselves being late to a meeting. Or if it's a job where they have to clock in, they might actually get in trouble for being late. They might get docked pay for being late. There's some pretty big consequences for the train not showing up as scheduled. Exactly. And so Metra has anticipated that use case. And so you know what they do? For every train that is late, and again, this luckily doesn't happen very often, Often, they put a couple of people in the train station just as you exit the train, and those people are handing out a train delay notice. 
Okay, I got to ask. I've ridden on the Metro before, but uh, thankfully never when it was running late. What is a train delay notice? Well, a train delay notice, which is stamped with today's date, says the following. To whom it may concern, this is to advise that Metro trains were unavoidably delayed due to difficulties encountered in suburban service today. If you require additional information or to verify this notice, please contact Metro Passenger Services at, and they give the phone number, We apologize for any inconvenience this may have caused. Thank you. I love it. This is like the ultimate grown-up version of a note from the doctor or, you know, my dog ate my homework type thing, right? It's the the thoughtfulness of Metra recognizing that because of their delays, which obviously were not caused by the passengers, the passengers are going to experience some consequences. And so they put together this note, which obviously it sounds like it's a standard note that they just update with the day of the delay as needed. What I also love about this is that they say to verify this notice, right? It's almost like they anticipate that some employers might receive this notice from their employees and be skeptical about it. And so they're kind of giving you that feedback loop to say, no, it's it's a real deal. If you compare this to delays on other forms of transportation, airlines or other trains, usually as a rider, what you get is a verbal apology, right? We're really sorry that our flight is delayed today, but there's no like instinctual thoughtfulness around, we're sorry that you missed your meeting today, or we're sorry that you're not going to make it to your friend's wedding because the flight was canceled or whatever. That doesn't seem to be there. And that's what I really love about this notice. And this is printed on you know a quarter of a sheet of paper. So they're probably printing four per sheet and cutting them out. It's not particularly tech savvy, but it's easy. It's simple. It costs them almost no money. And I think it makes a big difference, especially to those folks that you pointed out that, you know, might be clocking into work. And there is a difference between clocking in at 9.02 and and 9 o'clock. Absolutely. I mean, you mentioned it's easy, it's simple, and it's cost effective. I'll take it one step further. It's thoughtful. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, and what's fascinating to me about this story is public transit across, you know, at least the United States isn't notorious for being thoughtful and considerate. Right. Usually it's, yeah, yeah, whatever. We're providing the service. We're doing the best we can. And often the best we can feels like dialing it in at the most. Uh, And what I love is there's this. Uh, willingness to recognize by Metra that there are going to be cascading consequences for the delay. You know, you mentioned the airlines. This is something where airlines, I think, have gotten much better about letting the customers know that there's going to be a delay. But I found myself in plenty of situations where the delay means I'm going to miss a connection, which means I'm not going to be able to get to the place I need to by that day. And there's a rollover to the next day. And half the time, even just some empathy from the gate agent or from the person uh, that works for the airline saying, hey, I understand that this is probably inconveniencing you to a greater level. I'm so sorry for that. We're going to do everything we can to take care of you. Even if it doesn't mean that it changes the end result, that brief moment of humanity, that brief moment of thoughtfulness makes all the difference. And so I think there are a couple of things that we want to take into consideration here. Number one, you know, these think of these as our key takeaways or things that you should be doing. Number one, your problems can cause 
other people problems, right? So when, when something with your product or your service is causing an issue or causing a problem, whether as inconsequential as a delay or as significant as, you know, something failing to work, recognize that there's this cascading effect and try to work your way down the chain to anticipate where the customer is and figure out how to take care of their problem. Number two, anticipate the emotions of your customer. I think as we look to, you know, the next five to maybe 10 years in business, this is going to be where, uh, all the advancements are made. How can we, uh, properly anticipate and then address the emotional roller coaster that our customers are on when they do business with us? When they're at a low, we need to be ready to jump in and boost them back up. When they're at a high, we need to be able to celebrate with them. So what can we do to anticipate the emotional status? Status of your customer as they navigate through your customer journey. And finally, last but not least, number three, have fun with this. You know, when we look at the language of this Metra notice, it's not really that it's fun per se, as much as it's human. And, you know, they could even add a little more to it by having the people who are handing out the notices on the train. You know, you want the notice to sound real and professional so folks can give it to their employers. But, uh, you know, I could see something where the people on the platform are saying something like, you know, get out of jail free cards or, you know, so your boss, a note from mom, so you don't get in trouble for being late, you know, that they could bring a little bit of fun and humanity to the process in a way that helps that experience be the remarkable experience it could be instead of being the frustrating or anger-inducing experience that it would be. We spend hours and hours nose-deep in books. We believe that everything you read influences the experiences you create. So we're happy to answer our favorite question. What are you reading? So today I wanted to talk about a book that I've been reading by a very good friend of mine, Mr. Chris Strubb. Now, Chris is one of the nicest, most genuine guys I have ever met. And his goal in life literally is to help other people. And he's been doing this by traveling around the country and working with various nonprofits to teach them how to do social media better specifically live video so that they can acquire a bigger social following, hopefully solicit more donations and volunteers, and generally let the world know all the good that they're doing. Now, in 2015, Chris did something absolutely extraordinary. All by himself with zero outside funding, he drove his own car to all 50 states. Now, to be fair, he did have to fly to Alaska and Hawaii. And in each one of the states, he volunteered for a children's organization. He did this, by the way, in exactly 100 days, hence the title of his book, 50 States, 100 Days. Now, as you can imagine, Chris being a social media guy, he chronicled his entire trip with blog posts, pictures, and video of every stop and every nonprofit. And the book tells the complete story of his 100-day journey. In fact, he became the first person ever to live stream in all 50 states. And in each state, he not only volunteers at a nonprofit trying to make the world a better place, but he also interviews all the people in charge and leaves his mark by teaching them how to share their stories with the rest of the world. Now, Joy, I know you like to travel. How many of these United States have you been to? Well, Dan, I feel very fortunate that I have not achieved Chris's goal of all 50 
but I'm only one state away. I've got 49 down, one to go. And uh, yeah, sooner or later here, hopefully sooner, I'll make my way to Alaska and be able to, to complete the full journey. But it definitely took more than 100 days, which for our listeners, you know, I, I think it's important to note, having spent some time in all of the states, you know, getting from state to state when you're in the Northeast, that's pretty easy. You can kind of go through three or four states in the matter of one day. You get out west and it'll take you an entire day to drive across a state or the better part of a state, uh, you know, better part of a day anyway. So, for example, driving across Nebraska takes forever. If you're ever in a situation where a doctor gives you, you know, three months to live, go drive across Nebraska and it'll feel like you get to live an extra 30 years. But I think what's great about Chris's story is that he did something that a lot of people have probably thought about, but he took it one step further. He didn't just approach it as a tourist. Oh, let me check some boxes. You know, it sounds like he actually went and had these experiences, right? He experienced people who live in the States. He helped them tell their story. So he was working, he was playing, he was connecting, and he was able to do it in this kind of small period of time that not only produced a cool book, but I imagine, you know, Chris, I haven't had the pleasure of meeting him yet, uh, had a pretty big impact on his life because you can't see all 50 states in that short of a window of time and not have a much better understanding of the different parts of our country and how they impact people's thought processes and their beliefs and their ideas and their attitudes when you're getting to see them across kind of a shortened window like this. Absolutely. And, you know, two of the remarkable things that he did on this trip uh, that I think sort of lend themselves to creating an experience. The first is that in every state, Chris had someone from the nonprofit organization sign his car. So he's driving this 2007 Honda Accord all the way around the country. And every time he stopped at a nonprofit, he had someone from the organization signed their name and an inspirational quote. So as he traveled the country, his car became filled and filled and filled with all these amazing people and memorable quotes. And so that in itself became an experience, uh, both for him uh, and, and to the people, every place that he visited, um, the people that got to contribute to the quotes on the car, and then even the people that passed him by on the highway between stops. You know, obviously his car is fairly noticeable. And I thought that was such a cool thing that he did. I love it. I think one of the things we should do, because uh, you had a chance to share that, we'll include a photo of the car in the show notes. Seriously, it, it's it's a little cheesy, but it's also awesome, which how ironic how often those two things, cheesy and awesome, line up of with course. each other. It's certainly the case with Chris's car. Absolutely. And the second thing that is just truly remarkable is... Uh, if you talk to Chris, and, and by the way, he is very active on Twitter. He's at Chris Strub, and he's very, very responsive. Chris can recall every single stop on the journey by memory. So if you say to him, Wisconsin, he will immediately start blurting out, oh, that was stop number 31. And we went to the Wisconsin Youth Company in Madison. And that's where I met Executive Director Kay Stevens. And I taught her Snapchat. And we were supposed to go with some kids to a splash park that day, but the weather forced us to cancel. It is absolutely incredible. And 
I think that the only way that he could do that, besides being Rain Man, is that he created a memorable experience at every single stop. And that takes a lot of work. I mean, you know, he stopped in all 50 states only over the course of 100 days. He made sure to create a memorable experience at every single stop to the point where he can rattle off those experiences with an unbelievable amount of detail without even having to think about it. And I have to say, as I've been reading this book, it has caused me to stop and sort of wonder what I've done to make the world a better place lately. Yeah, well, I, I and in many ways, Dan, I'm not surprised that it's uh, producing that kind of thought process, because what's clear is that Chris enjoys traveling. He enjoys people. He enjoys helping. He enjoys teaching. And the ability to tie all of those things together into this epic adventure uh, over the course of 100 days to travel to all 50 states is pretty awesome. You know, I'm going to I'm going to be a little bold here, as you know, I have a tendency to do, especially as we get towards the end of an episode. And I'm just going to encourage and ask everyone who's a listener, if you enjoy listening to the experience, this podcast Try to go somewhere new this year. Go to, even if it's a, a new state, a new country, even if it's a new town, hop in your car, hop on a train, get outside of the norm. Go explore even a neighborhood that you've never been before because the fact of the matter is travel creates experiences. You can't travel without having some interesting experiences and interesting stories. And I've had the pleasure of meeting folks from all over the world, and one of the things that is often a common bond or a common denominator uh, amongst people who travel is being able to tell stories of their travel. And if you have that opportunity to connect with someone who's from a different state or a different country or even a different city, it gives you some points of commonality to be able to have a conversation with. People are always amazed when they find out that I've been to their town or I've been to their city or to their country. And it creates automatic rapport. And at the end of the day, isn't that what we're trying to do with our customers? You know, regularly create points of commonality and rapport. So I highly encourage you to be inspired by Chris's journey, check out his book, and make some commitment to go traveling in the coming weeks and months. You won't be disappointed. I love it. I, while you were talking, I was already on the web uh, booking my flight. We're, we'll uh, we'll see where I'm going to go, but it's a. I, I love that idea, and I I've actually always had this dream of if they would let you do this of just showing up at the airport and basically seeing which planes have a couple extra seats in them. Yeah. By the way, just so you know, they absolutely will let you do ah, okay. that. I wow. have done that. And it's incredible. They totally will let you do it. You know, you have to, they're not the cheapest seats, but sometimes you can get a gate agent who's feeling like having a little fun like you. And you just say, where am I flying to today? Yeah. yeah it's pretty cool. All right. So check out my buddy, Chris Strub's terrific book, 50 States, 100 Days. It's available in paperback or in ebook. And the ebook is pretty cool because it's very interactive. It has links to all of his blog posts and all of the videos, all the Snapchat stuff that he that he filmed while he was on this trip. And, and you can click right into it as you're reading the ebook. Both of them are available at Amazon or at Chris's website, which is teamstrub.com. Listen in while we try to stump and surprise each other with a fantastic statistic from the worlds of customer experience and customer service. It's time to check out this number. Okay, Dan, this week's number is 7.5 billion, which is definitely the largest number 
we've ever used on the check out this number segment. So 7.5 billion. What do you think it refers to? Well, obviously, it's the number of listeners we have on the experience this show. I absolutely love your enthusiasm, but alas, my friend, that is a bit of wishful thinking. Although tell your friends, download and listen to the show. Actually, 7.5 billion refers to the number of box office dollars generated by the 10, yes, we're up to 10, Star Wars movies. And of course, that number's still growing. This statistic comes to us from Smarter CX by Oracle, which you can find at smartercx.com slash experience this. And remember, guys, go to the slash experience this piece because it lets them know that you're going and checking out their site. If you're wondering what this has to do with customer experience, then you're going to want to look up the article, Three Things That Star Wars Teaches Us About Customer Experience. You'll find that on the Smarter CX website. And you can find that and more great customer experience content at smartercx.com slash experience this. This is Oracle's new website for professionals who are building the next generation of customer experience. Wait a minute. Next generation. Now wrong we're moving. Wrong, yeah, wrong, wrong, wrong yeah. movie. Wrong movie. <laughs> Mixing wrong movie, movie metaphors. But anyway, thanks to Oracle CX Cloud for sponsoring the experience this show. Wow. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This. We know there are tons of podcasts to listen to, magazines and books to read, reality TV to watch. We don't take for granted that you've decided to spend some quality time listening to the two of us. We hope you enjoyed our discussions. And if you do, we'd love to hear about it. Come on over to experiencethisshow.com and let us know what segments you enjoy, what new segments you'd like to hear. This show is all about experience, and we want you to be part of the Experience This Show. Thanks again for your time, and we'll see you next week for more Experience This.